I mentioned a, a while back that uh, come Christmas break for our family, we took a road trip to Florida. Um, 21 hours, drove it straight. Uh, there were five of us, uh, the six of us in the van, five of us had our license, so we didn't think it was going to be too crazy of a time. But we, we knew we, we, were, we were here in Erie, our home, but we wanted to get there. And so being here and wanting to get there, it's, there's a cost involved with that, you, you, you realize. Uh, we had to pack up stuff, and like every other uh, road trip you've ever been on, sure enough, somewhere down the road you forget something that you should have been bringing, and it creates some inconvenience. Uh, there's dietary stuff. You know, we wanted maybe to bring our big screen with us. It couldn't fit in the van, and so we had to use a little screen in the van. What a terrible thing we have, right? Terrible problem we got. Uh, and, and then there's the sleeping stuff, because sleeping in the van is, of course, a challenge when you got so many of us packed in. But sleeping in a new place, and, and then when you got to the new place, they didn't have all the conveniences that you're used to in your kitchen and those kind of things. So it was, it was, a, it was a hassle in some ways. Um, the, and of course, we did. We planned it the best we could, but of course, there was traffic, and then there was detours, and then it was getting lost a few times. You got to throw that in there, and and uh, it, but we wanted to get there. We were we were here, and there was when I, you know when we were. Uh, it wasn't too bad of a trip though, because when uh, years and years ago, when people were less mature in my family. You know, you would go on a road trip and, you know, you're bringing toys and coloring books and books and tapes and CDs and, and blankets and pillows and, and fighting and arguing and who's sitting on my side and their stinky feet are in my face and who's got my pillow. And blah, blah, blah. and then when you added the children to that situation, Teresa, I, it, was, it was just a mess, let me tell you. But we've matured a little bit since then. And, and so we know... We're trying to get to the, the there, and that's a good place for us to be. And so we're willing to put up with the, the issues, the, the hassle from getting here to there. It's just it's what you put up with. Well, as, as a, a church, we're not stagnant. We're going there. And to go there means you've got to leave here. And the here is the, the, the familiar, and it's the comfortable, and it's the big screen, and it's what my convenience is, and it's what I like, and it's what's, what's, what's nice for me, and it's, I'm used to. And, and, but you've got to leave the here if you want to get there, because you're never going to get there if you don't leave the here, right? It makes, lots of, makes sense. But it's, 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 uh, you plan it the best you can. But, of course, there's going to be detours and traffic and breakdowns and off on the wrong road once in a while and those kind of things. But still... If you don't leave the here, you're never going to get there. Well, we're going someplace. Where are we going? Well, our vision statement is that our goal is transforming Erie. This is is our neck of the woods. This is part that God dropped us into. Transforming Erie by introducing people to a transformational relationship with Jesus. You can break this thing down to a real simple, make more disciples. That's our goal. That's what we want to be about. And, and, and to get there is, is we can't be satisfied with being here. Again, I'm not talking about 
folk from Grace and McLean and Mill Creek and First Assembly and just kind of a revolving door and, and, and getting people to, between each of the churches. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of people within, within uh, the drive from our place who are going nowhere right now. Matter of fact, according to scripture, I guess they are going somewhere. They're on their way to a crisis eternity. And we got to say the stakes are so big that we can't be happy with just being here. You know, if, if, if we would have at my house put a big travel poster of, of Sarasota, Florida up on the, the wall of my living room and just said, you know what, I, I, I hope we get there. We're going we're gonna to take our vision statement and just put it on the wall. I just hope we get there one day. That's, well, and we didn't do anything to get there. We would never get there, right? And so we're going to say, okay, we gotta, we're going to, it's going to be tight and there's going to be some inconveniences and on and on and on. And, and, but we know where he's called us to be. And so we got to be willing to, to leave. And so it's, it's, uh, we say that our key strategy to doing that is we want to make more disciples. Key strategy is to be better disciples, right? That's how we want to initially start this thing off. And when I say that, I have got to clarify this, because real, real important that, uh, you know, we said when you follow Jesus' disciples around, you found that they were people who learned from Jesus and they lived for Jesus and they loved as Jesus and they led others to Jesus. But what we don't want to communicate, I don't want to communicate this in any way, shape or form, that being a disciple is about doing because it's not. Being a disciple is about being and this is, is radically different from every other world religion. Religion is about doing. I'm going to do all of these things so that I can become, so that I can be. And Jesus says, you got it all wrong. That will never work. You have to be changed in your being. And then out of that comes an overflow of doing. And I'll give you an example. One day... You're kind of just walking down the street, and you're having a good life. You know, everything's going good, and you're enjoying life, and things are just good. You know, you're, God, well, you're not thinking a lot about him. He's okay. You're not against him, and he's for you. Great. You need all the help you can get, but you're just going through enjoying life. Or maybe you're going through life, and it's difficult, and you hit a stretch that is just, you got a bad hand dealt you, and it's hard. It's just hard. And you're, 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 you're dealing with life. And then what happens is you're going through life, you bump up against the gospel. Now, maybe you've heard this before, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but, but you, you bang into this. And the gospel is the message of the Bible, specifically the New Testament. And if you want to get even more specific, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? And is, is you're, you're, you're there, suddenly you kind of see things you hadn't seen before. Let's go to the next slide. And the glasses come off. And you realize that, you know, Jesus is a real historical person. And here's the really amazing thing. If he rose from the dead, then Jesus is still alive today. And you come to realize that he was, he was an amazing man, I guess if you could call him a man, because he did all these miracles and he, he, he preached in amazing ways with a, with a message that was just a message of hope. He wasn't in it for himself. He, he died for it all, for crying out loud. And, and you realize that when he died on the cross, that's why he came, because the cross was really for me. But he took my place and he died for me to, to take all of my, my sin away. And, and do you remember that day when you, when you first heard this? It kind of hit you like a ton of bricks. 
And you're just in awe. And, and maybe for you, it's immediate thing. When I first heard this, I must have heard it my whole life, but when I finally, one day, it just, it's like my gla- the glasses came off. It's like, wow. It was immediate for me. My dad, it was a process. He wrestled with this for, for, for months. And, and, but you get to a place where you know what you got to do. And you're, you're on your face before the cross. And you're saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I, I, I didn't know. You took my place. Thank you for dying for me. And you, you surrender your life to him. Well, according to scripture, when, when you're there at that point, everything is new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any person is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. It's all new. It's a brand new thing. And you pop whatever words on that you, can't, you want to. You've been justified. You've been saved. You've been born again. Scripture says all those things. It, but it's changed. It's like, man, I never saw this before. Now, though, you're on the other side of the cross. And you're wondering, now what? Now, when I first came to know Christ. I didn't know there was a now what. I thought, well, okay, now what for me is just wait around till I get to heaven one day, just keep doing what was doing. But but as you follow Jesus' disciples, those who know him, you realize that they are people who who learn from him. He's their, he's their rabbi. And so they say, well, would you instruct me? What am I supposed to do now? How do I handle these things? How should I see these things? Uh, they learn from Jesus. They live for Jesus. It's not head knowledge, but there's change that continues to happen. It's, it's like the, the, the rose keeps blossoming and getting bigger. It's change that's happening. They live for Jesus. They, 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 we're going to talk about that next week. They love as Jesus. We're going to talk about that this week. And then they, they uh, lead others to Jesus. Now, I, I dropped a slide out of my show, just so you know, by accident. But but here's what that slide would be. Oh, they got it in. That's wonderful. Because you realize that, you know what? Uh, after you get into to this and you're following Jesus, you, you, you realize it's not a Lone Ranger thing. He called me to a body, a whole group. It's not just me individuals, kind of me, me corporately. He called me to a whole group. But now how you handle life in the whole group, that's real important. That's the whole love as Jesus loved. That's what scripture calls community. And there's a way to do it right, of course, and there's a way to not not so much do it right. We're called to community. And so a question that might come up in your mind is, you know, relationships messy. I'm busy. I got a lot going on. And so why should I even be bothered with this whole community thing? Why should we be bothered with this? Well, there's a couple of good reasons. First of all, is, is community is a good thing. Just let me uh, mention this to you. Very, very important. The premier research uh, study on this is called the Alameda County Study. It was performed by uh, Harvard. It was uh, performed over a nine-year period following the lives of 7,000 people in Alameda County, California. And their uh, findings have been incredible. Look at, listen to what they said. So this, that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than the most relationship-connected people. They said that dis- they discovered that people who had, get this is crazy, but, but it's part of their study, that people who had bad health habits, smoking, drinking, poor eating, obesity, but strong relationship connections lived significantly longer 
than people who had great health habits but who were isolated. So eating junk food with your friends is better than eating broccoli alone. It's what this proves. This is good <laughs> scientific study. We got that, right? Journal of American Metal Association, okay, the AMA. They got 276 volunteers. They infected them with the virus that causes the common cold. This is their studies. In this study, they found that people with stronger emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who were isolated. That's amazing. It said that those with stronger personal connections were less susceptible to golds. They said that those with stronger relationships produced less mucus than those with less relational connectedness. That we always knew unfriendly people were snotty people. We got scientific proof that that's happened. Journal of Happiness Studies. This is, a, this is an official thing, actually. This is, this is put together by a handful of psychologists. Uh, and what they'd found is that the distinguishing, the distinguishing factor that separated the more happy people from the less happy people is the presence of deep and meaningful relationships. Dr. Robert Putnam from Harvard summarizes their study by saying this. He says, the single most common finding from a half century of research on life satisfaction, not only from the U.S., but around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of our social connections. Gallup Institute. He says, one of the strongest predictions of job satisfaction in the workplace is having a best friend at work. I mean, it is this community thing. It's good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for us physically and emotionally and mentally. And of course, it's a good thing for us spiritually. Not only is it a good thing, it's a God thing. This is amazing when you think of, of Scripture. That, that From the beginning, of course, the very beginning was God. In the beginning, God. God was in the very beginning, right? According to Scripture, God is a trinity. That means God was never alone. There was never not community. God wasn't just hanging by himself. It was a trinity within himself. The one time God was alone, right? Jesus was on the cross paying for my sin and your sin. Sin brings about isolation. But that's never. In in, in Genesis 2, right? You, You know this. God creates the world. This is before the fall. There was no sin yet. No sin yet. But the Lord God looked and said, it is not good that man should be alone. He hadn't created Eve yet. And this is important because Adam has got a much better relationship with God than you and I will ever have until we get to heaven. Perfect relationship with God. But according to God, that's not good enough. There's something else he needs. It's not good for man to be alone. So he puts man in community. He develops relationship. Human relations, puts him in in community. A few chapters down the road, he's knocking on Abraham's door. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make a community from you, a people, a a community. You've got Jesus in the New Testament saying, I will build my church. The word church, again, nothing to do with buildings. The word church means called out ones. He says, I'm going to build a community is what Jesus is going to build. In, in Revelation, at the very end, heaven is spoken of as a community. From, from the very beginning in the garden, community. The very end, community. Before time, community. This is God's plan. And so why this is huge is, is when we are not in community, you need to know you, you are missing 
what you were created for. You were created for community. You were created to love and to, to, to uh, be loved. You were created to care for and to be cared for. You were created to, to know and to be known. You were created to, to hold and to be held. You were created to, to laugh and cry with. You were created for community. And when you miss out on that, when you miss that, it's going to affect you on every level. It will affect you on every level. You will never be spiritually what you could have been. You will never be in this life what you could have been if you blow off community. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. But it's a needed thing as well. I mean, it's a needed thing. Matthew 26 Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Remember, he's going to be crucified the next day, right? And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it's possible to let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You've got to ask yourself, why did he bring Peter, James, and John? Why didn't he just leave them back with the other guys? I mean, if you follow the story, they added nothing, right? They fall asleep on him is really, really what happened. So why did he bring those guys? Now, Jesus had been in relationship with them for two years, two plus years, and uh, he had invested in them. He refereed their fights among themselves. He rescued them multiple times. He, he, he uh, uh, taught them. He, he poured into them. They needed him. But here, he needs them. I know Jesus was 100% God, but we, we just can't drop the biblical truth that he's also 100% man. It's a mystery, I, I know. But he needs them at this point. He's, he's going up, just starting up. The steepest hill he'd ever climbed is going to go up to Calvary. He's in the darkest night of his life in Gethsemane. And listen, you see what he's praying and what he's, what he's feeling, the anxiety? Uh, please, God. Do we, do we have to do this? Can, can, we, can we just do this a different way? Please, will you deliver me? Please. He's sorrowful. He's in anguish. Son of God. He's going through it. But he's got a garden, friends. Just like a kid, when kids are competing at the game, whatever else, and, and you go to see him, he's looking around for his parents. And when he sees them, Draws courage. Now, parents can't run for him, right? Parents can't do it. But there's just something that's that's powerful about their presence. I'm, I'm going for my first church gig. I'm youth pastor deal. I'm there at the candidate weekend. Mean auto accident Sunday morning. Um, a mom and her teenage daughter are killed. Diane and Lois were killed. I got to know. Her two brothers, Diane's two brothers, uh, the day before. And so as soon as the service is done, the senior pastor and myself grab the two boys and we head off to the hospital, met by the coroner. Um, shortly thereafter, we're sitting in the cafeteria. Uh, Bob and Mikey, Dan, their lives are just totally, uh, totally destroyed on so many levels. And what do you say, right? So we're sitting there and all of a sudden, Brent walks in. Now, Brent 
was Dan's, one of the guys who just lost his mom and sister, best friend, freshman in high school. And Brent is just bawling. And he just walks up to Dan, and Dan stands up, and they just hold each other, and they're, they're crying, and they're sobbing. And I'm looking at this thinking, this is the body of Christ. This is right. Can't fix it. Can't fix it. But somehow, another person's presence give a bit of hope, right? It gives a little bit of courage, or it deflates the depression, the despair, maybe just a little bit. There's, there's. Do you have any garden friends? You know, right? You've got, you have a, a date set on the calendar of a dark time in Gethsemane. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be there. It's going to be there. And if you don't have any garden friends, this is the way Ecclesiastes puts it. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But if, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. He's just stating the obvious. You, when you crash, if there's not somebody there in a love bond with you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Community is, 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 is it's, it's why we were created. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. It's a needed thing. And so some of y'all might say, yes, that's right. I want that. I need that. Yeah, I want, that's right. I need that. But community is elusive, isn't it? It's not that easy. Just because you come to big group does not mean you're in community. Lots of lonely people come to big group and then leave lonely. And no one understands and no one's, no one's really part of it. That's just coming to big group doesn't, doesn't fix it. And perhaps, perhaps you're spiritually single. You're looking for some community spiritually. Maybe you just moved and you're grieving your old friendships, but you're looking to connect. You're just having a hard time doing it. Maybe your family dynamics have shifted. You know, whether your kid going off to college or, or, uh, Family's broken down and, and you're finding yourself in need of that community. Maybe you've got something going on that's just not good, but you don't have anybody you can trust and you're looking for that community. So how do you build that community? How do you accomplish that? How does that? Well, there's a handful of different ways. So hopefully just very practical, but let me throw out a couple things. First thing you need to do is you need to take the initiative. Okay, you need to take the initiative. Write, write that down. You need to take the initiative. Listen, if you are suddenly in a place where you need an income, right? You're in an income. And you're not going to rob a bank. And you don't have a rich uncle who's going to die and leave you all this money. And you don't have a ton of cash to make it work for you in the market. But you have to have an income. Well, what do you do? Well, worse comes to worse. You get a job, right? I got to go get a job. All right. And let's just say you're going to go down that road. You're going to get a job because you have to have an income. And so you, you go for one place and you throw, put in your uh, application and they shoot you down and say, nope. Do you say, well, I tried. All right, I'm done. Forget that. I tried. It didn't work out for me. You will starve to death if you do that, right? 
You can't, you can't be sad. I remember after I received my 80th rejection notice letter, it was a paper mail back then, from, from churches saying, thank you very much, um, uh, you're a gifted individual, however, you know, it's like, okay, right. So I had a whole pile of those things. After 80, I quit counting. But I couldn't stop sending out the, the resume and the application. My parents wouldn't let me, right? Just send those babies out. Let's keep going. You gotta, you gotta find something here. Uh, how can you take the initiative? Well, a couple different ways. Several different ways. Uh, one way is right here, name tags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, right? This is not our... This is, but, but I know that Pastor Rick, before me, was very good with names. This is what I was, was told. Very, very, very good with names. I, I have taken classes. I've read books. I've tried all kinds of special memory things. And I am very poor with, with names. Uh, and, so you know what? This is incredibly helpful for me. I come here Sunday, and I know I should know somebody's name, and I met them 47 times, but I'm just, uh, if they're wearing their name tag, don't, don't ever wear wrong name tags. They're messing me all up. <laughs> I, can, I can work with that. Now, my guess is I'm not the only person like that. Sometimes you see someone you know you should know, you know you should know, but you're embarrassed because you don't. So you start heading off a different direction. You kind of avoid them. Um, you can, listen, you can sign up for a name tag in your bulletin, tear off, check that little deal even right now, just check that thing, give me a name tag. You don't have to be a member, you don't have to believe in God, we can get you a name tag next week. That would be, that would be great. Um, if you've got one, may I encourage you to wear it, because a lot of folk have signed up and they just, somehow the, the name tag doesn't make it from the tape, the thingy to, to their, uh, it's just not there. If you could use it, that would be helpful. Name tags. Now, on top of that, let me, let me throw this out. Because at the beginning of 2017, here's a great goal. Okay, how about this? How about a goal for 2017? Every Sunday, I'm going to meet. I'm going to meet one person I don't know. And whether they're wearing a name tag or not, I'm going to go up to them and introduce myself to them and get their name. So that if they come back, if I see them again in the hall, I will be able to call them by name. If you did that, if all of us did that, I don't think there'd be too many of anybody who wasn't connected with, right? So, so uh, take that initiative in that way. Also, what you can do is take this a little bit deeper, is you sign up for a men's Bible study or women's Bible study or one of our adult classes on Sunday morning. Um, because you're going to be put into a group, smaller group of people for some, some time, and you will build community that way. Also, you can, how about this? Sign up to serve. Listen, you know one of the greatest aspects of the service, being on a, a, a service team, whether it's children or worship or youth, is, is the community. Last night, the youth leaders were here. Kids weren't around. Just the youth leaders were here celebrating and enjoying each other. If you were to come to one of our worship rehearsals, these guys are a hoot. They're lo- laughing and joking and goofing around with each other. There's community. The, the first impressions, people, the children. They, there's a bond that's developed when they're going after the same end. Let me encourage you to sign up for a, a service team. And then fourthly, and this is our primary way of connection, is our life groups. A life group is a group of uh, you know, 8 to 15 people. Uh, singles, married, uh, old, young, and, and they meet off campus a couple times a month uh, to study into, that's why we call them life groups, to do life together. They're designed 
for community. So let me encourage you to, to take the initiative, reach out. If you've tried it and it's failed, you just keep on going. There's just too much at stake. That's individually. Let me encourage you corporately for just a minute. And you need to know, I'm really on eggshells with this one, and I wasn't sure if I should say anything or not, but let me say this anyway. Um, because sometimes, um, I mean, FAC, I think, is an easy church to find, you know, right off interchange and just keep walking, going down Zimmerly, and you'll run into it if the road doesn't bend in the big steeple in First Church. America. Easy church to find. Not always the easiest church to connect in. And, and this, is, this is the deal. There's a big buzzword out today called, called emotional intelligence. And one aspect of emotional intelligence is viewing who you are from other people's perspectives. Now, in Erie, there's an incredible connectedness, uh, which is a great thing. Lots of great, great I'm going to say Erie, it's Northwest PA. Great, great thing. But I remember I went out to, to lunch one time with Rick Crocker when I first got to town. And Rick, great, great guy, good, good. Uh, I wish we could have developed, spent more time together and become better friends, but boy, he helped me a, a lot. Uh, but he was kind of giving me the lay of the land here in the front end. And he said, okay, Mark, some things you need to know about you know, Northwest PA. He said, the roots here go very deep, very deep. Uh, not a lot of transients, loops are very, very deep. And what that means is you will never be an insider here. You will always be an outsider. It's not that people will treat you bad. They're not, they won't treat you mean and like that, that. No, no, no. But... Reality is, they've many of them have been here for a very, very long time, and their family history is very, very long time. And you're just a new kid on the block, and you're going to be the new kid on the block, uh, probably through your whole tenure here. And so, you, you know, the, the very good thing about uh, our corner, Northwest PA, is the deep family values. But you, you find that their brother lives across the street, their mom lives on the other side of town, their, their kids live two blocks over. And so you know what? That becomes their social network. That They hang out and do everything together. That's a good thing. Uh, and the friends that they have outside the family, since they all kind of grew up here, they've known them for 40 years, and their kids grew up together. And, and so the friendships are really, really deep. I mention it this way. I say people are like Legos. You know, it's, it's, they're all clicked up. It's not that they're, they just can't click up anymore. They're all clicked up. We just have to keep in mind that because of that, when someone walks in the door, they might be looking for some sort of connection. And they might be looking to, to be connected. And so if I'm conscious of the fact that I might be very, very comfortable, I really don't need anybody else, they might be needing connection. So I need to get out my comfort zone and go connect with them. Um, a great example of, of just the other side here, just a positive, is uh, Roger and Joan Giles. Uh, when I came into town, my, my, I was here for six months without my family, and Roger and Joan would take me out often uh, after church. Uh, when my family came, they brought us over to their house for barbecues on a regular basis. And it's not just me. They have invested in exchange students. They regularly find people who are looking, walking around the halls who don't look like they know what they're doing, and they connect with them and take them out to eat. And um, th- th- what an incredible gift of hospitality and and kindness they they are demonstrating. What I mean, what a what a great place this would be. Can you imagine if all of us were kind of in that 
Lord, and we've all got different gifts, but boy, that would be a great thing. So, so take the initiative. Individually, corporately, take the initiative. A second thing you can do is to listen. Listen. Uh, build your small group. Build your, it's how do you do it? By listening. Now, this is what I mean by that. Here's how you can't do it. And it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but, but hang with me for a minute. Here's how you cannot do it. You cannot join a life group or a service team or a Bible study primarily, solely to develop friendships. It can never be, what do I get out of it? We cannot take community and turn it into a commodity. We can't take community and turn it into a consumeristic sort of thing. Where, where, do, where do I get out of this? I'm going I'm to take the, the, the life group where the, the best services me and it takes you just can't go down that road just like laws to community and that's a violation huge uh you, you, it has to you have to go in with a perspective not what can I, what can i get out of it but what can i give to it and if that's your perspective stuff happens if you've ever been in a group where there's somebody there who just loves to hear themselves talk, you know what I'm saying? They're, 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 they've got opinions about every verse. They've got opinions about all the politics. They know everything about every team, the weather. They've got, they've got their opinions on what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with the old people and what's wrong with the young people and just what's wrong with, with the world as, as a whole. And they're going to make sure that you hear their opinions because they've got it all nailed, of course. Um, or there are people who are more polite, perhaps, and they'll kind of listen. They'll hear what you're saying. They'll nod. But the whole time, they're thinking of what they're going to say. They're really not interested in what you have to say. They're waiting their turn so they can share as, as well. They're going to give you your spot. But they're not really listening. Years ago, Stephen Covey wrote a book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Perhaps you've read this. Fourth habit, though. I think this is the best, best one. He says, he says um, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Don't you love that? Seek first to understand them, to understand how they're feeling. Why would someone say that? What their history is, what their baggage is, what their life is, what, what their emotions and job and life, what's going on with them. Seek first to understand them, then to be understood. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a, wrote a book um, Life together. And in the book, he says this. He says, people are, are looking for a listening ear. But from Christians, they don't find it. Because Christians are too busy talking and not busy listening. And then he goes on in the book to say this. He says, he says this is the beginning of death for the spiritual life. Community is that important. And so in your groups, you go in with an idea, what can I give? And you might think, well, what if I give and give and give? But it's never reciprocated. It's a legitimate question, right? And you say, well, welcome to Jesus' world, right? That's just kind of the, the thing. That's part of the, 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 the uh, goal, I think, of obedience. There is no promise along those lines. You may serve and serve and not be served back. But most often it, it doesn't go that way, given enough time. We, we, we listen. Uh, James lets us know. We're to be quick. What is it? To hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. What a great, what a great challenge as I'm dealing with other, other people. I, I take the initiative. I, I listen. I serve. 
uh, this is, uh, when I got sick, some of y'all know my story, I got sick, uh, crazy stuff happened. Our life, uh, lost a lot of weight. Uh, uh, very quickly, I was incapacitated. I couldn't walk. Uh, it was just, it was just very, very bad. But I remember the night before we went to Mayo Clinic, some one of our friends, good friends, stops by the house and just kind of puts a pile of money on our kitchen table and says, uh, "There's more, if you need more." Some of our friends uh, made plane, took care of our plane travel for us to get. To mail. Oh, our daughter, Lauren, was three at the time and uh, wasn't going to be able to come with us. We weren't sure what to do, but someone in our good friends in our life group, real good friends, very, we, we, we developed a great relationship with them. They were very safe. They were good people. They said, We're going to family camp. We'll take Lauren with us for that week. So, well, that's great. One of our, our good friends, she was a buyer for Procter & Gamble, so she could wheel and deal very well. We needed her. She came with us and, and helped fight the, the gatekeepers at Mayo, Mayo Clinic. So she was a, a good one, helped take care of Nathan, who came with us, who was just a baby. We had friends that made us meals, a friend who took off work to drive us up to the University of Michigan to see a specialist. Uh, at one point, Lauren, I was just coming out of brain surgery, uh, Teresa had been in there with me, helping me, and all of a sudden we get a call that, that, that Lauren is being taken to the hospital. She's got pneumonia, and so Teresa's got to go from one hospital to a different hospital. She's now going to hang out there with Lauren. I'm pretty much an invalid, but we had a good friend at the, the, the church who said, we'll take you, Mark, and took me home and nursed me uh, for a while. In all honesty, I look back at that time, and I don't know how we would have made it without those garden friends. Uh, sometimes some of the things may have seemed small to them. We're just going to make them a meal. We're just going to stop by for an hour and help them clean. But they were incredibly significant. Don't think that uh, uh, serving with the other people on your, your team or serving the lives of some of the people in your small group is, is anything insignificant. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's it's it's. Incredibly substantial. It's why we're supposed to be in community. And then there's a fourth thing. Let me just briefly mention this, but that is to forgive. Okay, we got we got to take the initiative. We got to listen. We got to serve, and then we have to forgive. And this is the deal: every single human relationship is going to manifest unrighteousness at some point. It's, it will, it will. Sooner or you're dealing with, with broken, sinful, baggage-ridden people, and those are the good ones, right? And so, so it is, it is, sin is going to manifest, whether it's jealousy or pride or selfishness or, or, or anger, it's going to manifest. And if, when it does, if, when it does, you decide to turn and run, I'm not hanging out with those people, those people don't have their act together. If, in fact, at that point, you decide instead to Gossip about them in your group to, to somebody else. If, if in fact at that point you, you maybe you're, you're not going to say anything, but in your heart you're just holding on to it. Um, my brother, when he got, he was newly married, uh, he and his wife had a big old fight. And the counselor uh, said to my, my brother, and this was, this was not my words, it was the counselor, he was wrong to saying this, but, but he said, Matt, you need to realize that women have a bag. Actually, men have one too, just so you know. Ours is probably bigger. But women have a bag. And every time you don't show up for dinner like you said you would, they take it and they kind of stick it in the bag. 
And every time your, your socks, you leave them on the floor, you're not supposed to leave them on the floor, she don't say anything, just kind of takes them and puts them in the bag. And every time, you know, that visa bill is not paid again and now you got interest, just takes it, puts it in the bag. And every time you didn't shovel when you were supposed to and you didn't take care of the car, and it feels, and sooner or later, what happens, she takes this bag, you guys have an, an altercation of some sort, and she reaches down to the bottom corners of that bag and just, just dumps it all over. It's everywhere. And then after you all fight about it, and then you kiss and make up, she'll say, excuse me, just a second. And she'll reach down and pick up those things and put them back in the bag. One at a time. Just put them in that bag. Forgiveness is, is not simply not seeing anything. It's not having a bag. And what was so good for me is this, this week, I'm studying this, right? And God's convicted me of somebody that I'm, I'm angry with. I'm, Here's a couple of verses. Great, great. Proverbs 19. Check out this. It says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to my glory for me to overlook an offense. It is to your glory for you to overlook an offense. It's a real thing. It's an offense. It's a real... You've been sinned against. You have been. It's a real thing. Overlook it. Check this out. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as in Christ God forgave you. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? Maybe you've walked away from the relationship. Maybe you're still in it, but it's on that superficial, semi-dysfunctional basis because forgiveness is not embraced. You will never reach community. If you don't embrace forgiveness, you just won't. When I was in sixth grade, I met Doug Horn. Uh, Doug Horn and I were as polar opposites as you could be. Uh, Doug went to a very conservative, private, you know, legalistic type school. He had, we called them white walls back then, I don't know what you call them, but you know, he had, he had he, his, his hair was probably three inches from his ears, right? I, on the other hand, I was a victim of the public system, and my hair was down. I was, I was down. Doug, Doug would always wear wool pants and suspenders and a little bow tie. Now, that was not cool in the 70s. I assure you, for a teenager, it was just not cool. But I had on bell bottoms and jeans, and I had, you know, the T-shirt flannel thing going. I was, it was, I was, I was there. Doug, his favorite group, you know, his favorite group was Benny Goodman. Believe it. I mean, his big band sort of guy. Benny Goodman. I like Ted Nugent. You know, it's a little bit different. than we're going, what is, is that about? Um, Doug, he liked to, this is what he did for hobby, for fun. He's really into war type stuff, right? So he would put on fatigues and he would grab these little plastic toy machine gun and a little plastic helmet and he would walk through the woods in, behind his house. <laughs> I like sports. Doug did not like sports. But my parents, for whatever reason... And Doug's parents decided to become friends. So they would drag me to Doug's house. And so I'd be in Doug's house and he was listening to big band music. I thought, oh my goodness. But you know, in time, I'm going, now was that Tommy Dorsey or was that Glenn Miller? Who was that? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into it. I'm, I'm listening to Doug. I never did wear the wool pants, but I did end up putting on the fatigues multiple times, the little plastic toy machine gun going through the thing. You know, Doug and I went to college together. We decided to not room, because that could hurt our friendship, we thought, but we made sure we were on the same floor. Doug and I toured in a band together throughout college. Doug was my best man. I was his best man. 
When I look back over my life, uh, I've, I've had very few friends like Doug Horn. We were polar opposites. I would never, ever have chosen him or he me. You can be assured that I had to forgive a lot and that he probably had to forgive, well, probably a little, but he had to forgive probably some as well. <laughs> but maybe God knew what I needed relationship-wise better than I did. Sometimes, let me just encourage you along these lines. You don't have your folks forcing you all together, and so it's easy to walk away. But let me encourage you to stick with, to not choose based on my affinity, but take the relationships that God has placed us together with as from him who knows what we need better than, what we, better than ourselves, and, and practice community. Take the initiative with it and listen and, and serve and forgive. And as we do, you know what happens? We begin to love as Jesus loved and as disciples. We blossom. Would you pray with me?